Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Boy, where is everyone this morning? It was a powerful St. Patrick's Day weekend, I guess. Well, it's good to see you here this morning. This morning, we're going to continue our study on the revolution. Remember, this is a prelude to Easter. We are talking about the cross and, and what the cross means to us as followers of Christ and what it meant to the early church. Last week, we talked about how Christ conquered through suffering, that that was how his work took place. The church was born in suffering. Suffering is a necessity for growth. As much as we dislike that, it's the truth. We grow through times of suffering. For healing to take place It is when we go through the suffering that we come out and show that healing has taken place. It is a declaration of love. It is probably the ultimate declaration of love, right? Greater love has no one than this than a person lay down his life for his friends. And here Jesus is calling us friends. And so Jesus dying for our sins, according to the scriptures, might have a a little bit of a different idea to a first century Jewish person as this is starting than it does to a 20th century uh, person in our time. 20th century, that's our time. Uh, And so we want to look at what does it mean for us. And so this morning I'm going to be talking about Boy Scouts, doctor's diagnosis, idolatry, Little League baseball, and traffic tickets, and reckless driving. Okay? hit a nerve with some of you, I guess. We need to remember that theology was meant for the church, not church for theology. That theology was to help the church understand what God is doing, but not to hold the church captive into a belief system. And it's important that we understand that because throughout history, we've seen that there is a a learning that takes place that helps us to understand more fully God's intention. For example, years ago, if you came to church, women, you had to wear hats because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that a woman is to have her head covered. And so a theology was developed that said women have to have their heads covered so women have to wear hats and hats became the thing. In fact, you go some places and they are still the thing. I mean, women have some nice hats and they go to church and it's part of their Sunday best. 
But then an understanding of 1 Corinthians 11 shows that it really wasn't about the head covering. It was about what was taking place in the city of Corinth at that time and why the women didn't want to be associated with others who were in worship in ways that were demeaning. And so now the theology has become more clearly understood based on more information from that first century. And I want to hold on to those kinds of truths. Otherwise, we're held captive and we're being forced to go somewhere that we really don't need to go. There was a story of three Boy Scouts who took this woman across the street. And someone asked one of them, why did it take three of you to get her across the street? And one of them said, well, because she didn't want to go. <laughs> you, you see, we're not being taken somewhere that we don't need to go. We don't need to, to go to the places that are going to limit what God's intention was for us. And, and so... We want to look and see at all that God has meant concerning the cross and what it has for us. You see, a lot of people have insisted, like these Boy Scouts with the lady, that the human race really needed help to go to heaven when all along the New Testament was insisting that the divine plan for the cross was to sum up everything in heaven and on earth in Christ. We see that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Not just people, all things. We're talking about heaven and earth here. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so when we have an idea of the cross, we need to think about God reconciling all things to himself. Not just taking us from point A and getting us to point B. Otherwise, we're minimizing what God's intention was. We have to be willing to see things that are and not just what maybe we've been told, or a a belief system that we've had that has limited us to less when God is including a lot more. Uh, Otherwise, we we hold on to part of a truth, but we miss out in something that's very important. There was a young lady in Europe who was suffering from headaches and blurry vision and having uh, problems with her weight. And she was going to her primary physician and he was giving her different uh, tests and things. And he came to a different diagnosis with medication and felt that she was suffering from allergic reactions, specifically to cheese. And so what they did was try and help her from these you know, allergic reactions and take away all happiness and not allow her to eat cheese, right? The mother was frustrated because after a period of time, even though she changed her diet and was taking different allergy medicines, it did not change her condition. And so she went to another doctor and they found that she was actually suffering from a brain tumor. And to the horror and relief of the mother, they found out what was the problem. You see, these symptoms that they were talking about didn't get to the root of what was really going on until the other doctor diagnosed this. And addressing the wrong problem was not helping her condition. 
the cross is not passive. It never has been. It has never been the goal to get to heaven. And so all the beautiful songs that we've sung that just talk about that, they're not wrong. They're just not diagnosing everything completely. Okay? It's really about a renewed human vocation with God. A renewed creation. This is what every biblical book from Genesis on is pointing towards. Think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden. What did they do wrong? It wasn't that they ate the wrong food, right? That's the illustration. It wasn't you ate the wrong fruit. You're not supposed to. You're lactose intolerant. You can't eat that, right? That's not the problem. The problem is they made a choice that would make them like God, that would make them independent from God. That, that's the point of the story, not just that they ate this fruit. It's what that fruit represented and what that choice represented in themselves. That autonomy, we will do this ourselves and be like God. And from there forward, you look at the Tower of Babel. What was the problem with the Tower of Babel? What did they say? They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Again, autonomy. We want to be our own judge, our own ruler, make our own decisions apart from God. That's the problem. It wasn't building a tower. It was what was going on in them. The children of Israel taken into captivity to Babylon and throughout their history. What is the problem? Why did this happen? And throughout scripture, we see that it's idolatry. That it is placing something in the place, taking something and putting it in the place of where God is supposed to be. And so Paul, looking back at all of this, sums it up in Romans. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. All the things that we've fallen into, all the immorality, all the things that have happened are because we took creator God and put him behind and put other things in front of. Idolatry is a big deal. The human problem is not so much seen as the sin of breaking moral codes. Though that, of course, is part of it. That's important. It's not insignificant. But just as headaches and blurry vision really weren't the medical problem, idolatry becomes the root of this problem, of what this sin is. It's a distortion of what life, worshiping the wrong things, produces. Living a life that is separated from God and living a life that is a declaration of just what we want and not what God has intended. You see, it's like treating allergies instead of a tumor. If we just say, oh, it's about stopping to do all the bad things so that you can go to heaven, you're not dealing with the root. You have to go deeper because it really is dealing with what you are 
giving your life to. And that shows up in many other moral areas, as we can see. Idolatry is giving your life over to something, to anything other than what your life was created for. So it's not just a statue. It's not just something that you, you know, bow on your knees and pray to. Idolatry is giving value to something more than it deserves when that value is supposed to be given to God. And this is why it becomes a a little bit deceitful in our own hearts because we can become idolatrous in the things that we trust in. We trust in our finances. We trust in our jobs. We trust in a career. We trust in a person. We give our lives to fill in the blanks. It could be our family. It could be our job. It could be our own goals. And that becomes everything that we are driven towards. And God, even though we believe in God, we give our lives and live our lives for something else. And that is at the root of what we're dealing with. I used the word once and we're going to be using it a bit. The word vocation. The vocation is a calling or or career. Basically, it is a divine call to God's service to live like Christ. It has intention and it has purpose. And we were created with intention to live our lives in the image of God. And idolatry is taking that image and giving it to something else. And so the cross is not a work contract that gives you amnesty because you broke the law. Oh, good. Jesus died. I broke the law. Now I don't have to worry about things. That, that's not what the cross is about. It's a covenant vocation, an agreement to live as I was intended to live in the image of God by following Jesus. If we do this, then the scripture says we are a royal priesthood that we become a kingdom of priests, people who are called to stand in the dangerous ground between heaven and earth. We are people who are to mark what it is like to live in a belief that he is truly our king. And it shows up in how we worship. It shows up in what we do. It shows up in how we live. And so, again, it's not passive. It's not just, okay, Jesus died. I don't have to go to jail. I got to get out of jail free card. No, Jesus died and has brought me into the proper relationship. And now I am a priest for the kingdom of God. That sounds a little scary. See, in this story, creation itself is a kind of temple. We are called not just to keep certain moral standards in the presence and enjoy God's presence here and hereafter, but to celebrate worship, to procreate, to take responsibility with, to take care of this rich and beautiful world that we're living in. Be responsible to the people, to what is being done to how things are being done. Again, it's dynamic. It's not passive. It's stepping into more, not moving away from less. 
The human diagnosis is not simply that humans have broken God's moral law, have done wrong things, and so must be judged and punished. That's just a symptom of much more serious problem, more serious disease. Morality is important, but it's not the whole story. Humanity has turned its vocation upside down. We have given worship and allegiance to creation itself, to things other than the creator. That's the idolatry. That's been the story and the problem with humanity from the beginning is God has not been God in our lives. Other things have been. And we could list all the other things, whether it's money, whether it's you know sex, whether it's drugs, whether it's whatever it is. Other things have taken place of God and we've given them power over our lives instead of giving God power over over our lives. When we worship and serve things in the creation that we're supposed to be responsible for, like we are supposed to be responsible in the garden, we hand over the kingdom to something other than God. And the result is ruining human lives. It's ravaging the beauty of our world. And it turns God's world into a living hell that now we just want to get out of. Because we see the misery of what it is to live apart from God. Our vocation in Genesis was to care for the garden. If we think of the garden, in a sense, as creation, we see how this vocation in the beginning mirrors Israel's vocation, that they were supposed to represent God to the world. And overall, that comes to focus even in the book of Revelation. And we can't really blame, you know, or just say, oh, yeah, those Israelites, they were idolatrous. They did because we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We put our investment in so many things other than God. And we can't criticize them because they did what we're doing. But you see, the intention and the direction that God was pointing in was for us to take the responsibility to be the people he intended us to be. So in the book of Revelation, the close, it's kind of summing up all these things. We start to see these things come to bear to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Right here we see that he freed us from our sins by his son to make us a kingdom of priests. Revelations 5, 9 through 10 says you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Again, a taking of responsibility, a taking of position. This is why he died, to make us this kingdom of priests so that we might reign on the earth. But remember what Jesus said in Matthew, when we reign, the first will be last. We talked about this last week. It's not, yes, we're reigning. That's what the disciples wanted. Who's going to sit on your right? Who's going to sit on your left? You guys don't understand If you want to be great, you're going to be the servant of all. What does the king do? He washes the feet. How do you reign in the kingdom of God? You serve, you love, you give your life. 
just like Jesus did. This is what reigning looks like. Again, it is upside down from what we have taken this idea of reigning, being in charge. I, I'm on top. I, I'm the boss here. Well, the boss of creation humbled himself, died on a cross. That's what reigning looks like. That's what the cross is doing. It's turning this mindset upside down. All the things that have governed us, that have pushed us to try and achieve something in status. He's now flipping and he says, you want to do something? Learn how to serve. Learn how to give. Learn how to love. One more in Revelation 20, verse 6. It says, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power of them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The cross is our way into the royal priesthood. It's putting aside the idol of self. And taking up the responsibility that was ours from the beginning. This is taking up our cross and following after him. This is what it looks like. To be a part of this kingdom. To be a kingdom of priests. The cross is where we go through. It is our door. It is the picture that we understand clearly what is meant to reign like our king. And this is seen in Paul's writings as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, I know it's a lot of words up there. Hope you can read and follow along. It says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, we already see that there is a moving, that, that Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us responsibility. The ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and has made committed, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. N.T. Wright translates so that we might be made the righteousness of God like this, so that in him we might embody God's faithfulness to the covenant. You see, Jesus' reconciling work on the cross results in a new restored human vocation. It is pushing us somewhere. It is changing us to become something. It is moving not only us, but all of creation in a direction that God has intended from the very beginning. This is why it's revolutionary. This is why it changed the world. Not because people were waiting to leave, but because people were stepping into the role that God had intended them from the beginning. I used to love playing baseball. I was in Little League, and there was one year when I was still in the minors of Little League. I must have been maybe eight years old, nine years old, and there was someone sick on a major league team, and they didn't have enough players, so they called me to go play on a major league team, right? 
Now, I didn't have the right uniform, so the miners, all they had at that time was a little t-shirt with, you know, colored sleeves, and the majors, they had the full uniform. And so I was playing for the Yankees. I remember that, right? I was playing for the Yankees, and I go there with my little t-shirt on, and they put me out in center field, and it was like, I made it to the majors, this little eight-year-old kid, right? I'm just sitting there waiting to play, and sure enough, a fly ball gets hit to me, and I made the catch, and everyone was like, yeah, the little kid caught it, you know? And I was so happy because I did something good in the majors, It was this transition. I'm moving to this place. Something similar happened to my youngest son, Daniel. When we were, I was managing a team, the Angels. I couldn't get the Dodgers. But anyway, I was managing a team and then one of the kids moved away. And so we needed another player. And it was the end of the season. And so what we decided to do is take my son from the minors and bring him into our team at the majors. That way, there was ulterior motives. That way we wouldn't have to draft him first round next draft period because you have to, you know, I'd have to get my son. And so I'd have to pick him first. And he is okay of a player. But, you know, anyway, (laughs) I hope he won't listen to this. Um, He still thinks different. Uh, But when we brought him up, it was like, yeah, you made it to the majors, buddy. And he was beaming because here he is on the major league team. I'm playing with the big kids. And we brought him up into this place. You see, we are being promoted to a position. We are being brought into a place. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2, as God's co-workers... That's us. Think about that. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, and then he quotes Isaiah 49, 8. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time for God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We are being called up to our true purpose, our our true vocation. We do not only announce the kingdom of heaven, we get to participate in it. Paul is doing what Revelation is doing. He's celebrating the fact that Jesus is reconciling death, sets people free to take their true place, purpose and vocation to be part of the ongoing divine plan that the covenant had for us, for the whole world. And so I'm telling you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I've always heard this as one of those things that you see at a crusade, some big tent revival meeting. Now is the day of salvation. Today you need to come and accept Jesus. But really this is for us to realize our position is now and here. Salvation is the restoration of all things. It's not just you going to heaven. That is so small in what God's mind is. Salvation is the restoration of all things that you get to be a part of. Today is the day you get to take your place in what God is doing all over the world. Sorry, I started yelling. My mom always says, it always upsets me when you yell. She's not here today, so I can yell. This is exciting. This is something that changes everything. This is meant to motivate our hearts and push us into what God is doing. 
living, serving, loving like Christ, being the restoration of all things. This is why what we do and how we live is so important. You see, sin is the human failure of vocation. It is falling short of God's intended purpose for you. It means much more than stop doing these things. It also means start doing what you were supposed to do. We abuse our calling, our privileges, and our possibilities. Our thoughts, our words, and actions have consequences. They were meant to. That is what's being created in the image of God. That's what it means. That's what it's all about. And I hope it's clear that the reason that sin leads to death is not at all, as often has been thought, that death is an arbitrary and somewhat heavy-handed punishment for various moral shortcomings. Right? The connection is much deeper. I, I struggled with this for so many years. You know, you heard, well, all sin is the same. It's like, uh-uh, not to me. Right? If you steal a cookie from the cookie jar and you commit murder, to me those seem very different. Right? And that's idea. No, all sin is the same. So my son steals a cookie from the jar, jar that means he's got to go to hell? Can't he just get grounded? You see, this idea of God has to punish is really missing the point of the cross. And it's kind of like the difference between tickets and reckless driving. You see, this distinction I'm making is like that. If you drive too fast, you might get a ticket. But if you drive too fast around an icy corner, you might get in a crash. There's a difference, right? The ticket is arbitrary. It is something that may happen because of what you do. But the accident, the crash, is intrinsic. It is foundational. It is the direct consequence of the behavior. And what happens is when we stop living in the image of God things happen that are bad. And we can list the things that they are. We can list the the perversion. We can list the addiction. We can list the abuse. We can list all these things that take place when we fail to live in the way that we're supposed to. In the same way, death is the intrinsic result of sin, not simply an arbitrary punishment. When we fail in our image-bearing purpose, The problem is not just that we will face punishment. The problem is that other powers, other forces seize control. And God's plan for creation does not move forward as it was intended. It gets subverted. And that's why it's so important to recognize that if we will not live according to his intention. If we will live an idolatrous life, which again means a life of our choosing to please ourselves, then we are setting in motion consequences that have incredible ramifications, not only on us, but on the people around us, on 
society around us, on the world around us, in nature itself. And the cross is where all that gets turned around. The cross is where God says, we are going to take back this planet. We are going to change everything. How does it happen? It happens here and it happens like this. That God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have his life. So the invitation for us is to be drafted up. You guys are out of the minors now. It's time to get to the big leagues. It's time to put on the jerseys and say, I am living in the image that God has intended me to live in. Anything less is devastating. So how do we do that? It doesn't happen all at once. I don't instantly become a great person. I don't even slowly become a great person. It's been years now, still working at it. Right? And that's why it's like, oh no, I messed up. I'm out of God's favor. No, I messed up. I'm not a clear image. Oh, I, I did this. I need to acknowledge means confess, be in agreement with God of what needs to change and then follow after Jesus so that the change is seen. We'll be talking more next week about, again, what the cross does and how it takes place. But understand, if you understand anything this morning, understanding that the cross has brought you into the place where you are to represent God, that salvation takes place and you are the ministers of it, just like you are the recipient of it. As he reconciled the world to himself, now he's given us the ministry of that reconciliation. There are no bystanders in the kingdom. We are all participants So let's open our hearts to how we represent him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that you have done more, not less, in the cross. That you have called us into something when you gave your life for us. When you said, if anyone comes after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me, that was very intentional, that something needed to die. And God, we are all standing in places where we can look at ourselves and recognize things that need to be put to death, things that should not be alive in us, things that show that do not look like you. And so I pray, Lord, without condemnation, but with the concern of a father, you would enlighten us on these things. You would reveal them to our own hearts and help us to see that following you means moving away from things, but moving towards something else. And Lord, thank you that by your spirit, we are now able 
to move forward in this direction. I thank you, God, that you have called us into your kingdom and you have made us a kingdom of priests. Not because we were so good or living moral lives, but because that's what you intended from us all along. And all we are doing is taking responsibility now for what you have given to us through the cross. And I pray for us as a community, Lord, that we would be mindful of this as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go home, that we would understand that we are image bearers, that the way we communicate to our friends, our family, our coworkers is important, that the way we conduct ourselves in all areas of life is important, that the way we conduct ourselves in life, in every area of life is important, that even the secret things matter to who we are. And so may we not play games, may we not build idols that we serve instead of you. May we allow you the place that only you deserve in our lives. And may it change the way we live. Right now, as we are just praying, I I want to ask if you have been made aware that you are failing to live in the image that God has created us in. And you acknowledge that there is the need to change, the need to repent, the need to give God a priority. Would you stand so that we can pray and so that you can acknowledge this before God and before us? There is no shame. There is no condemnation. This is something that could happen multiple times throughout your life has mine. And this is just us saying, God, I need, I want this change. And Father, I pray that you would meet us where we stand, you would meet us where we live, that you would meet us where we are, and that you would transform us by the power of the cross to be the men and women that you've created us to be to be a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that lives to honor you, that lives to follow you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. May you realize that God has not called you to less but to more. May you understand that you have been drafted and you are now in the majors and that you are a kingdom of priests to our God and what does that look like may you understand it looks like Jesus God bless you guys have a wonderful week hope to see you Wednesday or next Sunday God bless you guys you have been listening to the Genesis podcast we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.